Welcome to the Well Workplaces podcast, where we have authentic conversations with health and wellbeing leaders that are on a mission to inspire healthy change in the workplace. I'm your host, Tom Bosner, and today's episode is proudly brought to you by Pinnacle Health Group, Australia's leading corporate wellbeing provider, who are on a mission to deliver 5 million health experiences globally. Now, to stay in touch with the latest events and podcasts related to Well Workplaces, you can follow us on Instagram, YouTube, or on LinkedIn by simply typing in Well Workplaces. Now, I'm joined today by special guest, Ruth Kent. Ruth is a sought-after corporate wellness consultant, wellness coach, facilitator, and mindfulness teacher. And she provides whole-day workshops, retreats, classes, and programs designed to educate, empower, and energize in mind, body, and well-being. She founded Sunrise Well in 2014 to help people become mindfully aware of their health and well-being so that they can live and perform at their best. And in her work, she shares the latest evidence-based woo-woo-free research in a fun and inspiring way. And with a lifelong passion for health and well-being and the natural curiosity of people and what makes them tick, Ruth first learned to meditate at the age of 15 at a time when meditation was far from the mainstream. This motivated her to dive in and learn a lot more about mind and herself as well to get a better understanding of others and what makes them tick and her curiosity and passion for health and well-being led her to study psychology a postgraduate diploma in international public health yoga teacher training level three wellness coaching and a master's in biomedical meditation therapy and allied health on the side she brings this extensive training to her work alongside her 25 years of personal meditation experience Hailing from Brisbane, she loves to escape the coast of, and on the weekends with her husband and her two loud but fun-loving kids. In this episode, Ruth shares a really interesting story around how and why at the age of 15 she ended up getting into meditation. She also touches on a very much lived experience and a, a year of a few ups and downs from a personal level and a few major experiences that led her to really lean into this idea of meditation, mindfulness, and bringing it together to create Sunrise Well as a business that can offer workshops, retreats, and courses to help people feel better and, and perform at their best. She shares some of the science around meditation and mindfulness and how the physiological component can really be impacted by stress and why there are so many benefits to meditation. She shares as well about one of her famous workshops is Make Self-Care Your Superpower. And she shares with us why this workshop is such a great one and also what are some of the experiences that the corporate clients would see, feel, and touch within this session. Let's head across to the show. Welcome to the show, Ruth. How are you going? I'm good, thanks, Tom. How are you? Oh, really good. We're just discussing it's uh, almost school holidays, and it sounds like you're off on a bit of an adventure. I am. I love the back of the Gold Coast up in the mountains up there. It's just so pretty and fresh air and, you know, just being back in nature. It's really good. So looking forward oh, to a couple of days away. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. School holidays uh, for us as well down here, obviously. So, well, I'm heading, I'm heading up your way to get some of that, uh, some of that nature as well. And that beach at Kingscliff uh, up in Northern New South Wales. So we'll be, we'll be very close <laughs> geographically, but you're, you're coming to a strong Brisbane 
uh, today. And I'm really interested in talking about Ruth is just going into, I guess, a little bit more around, around your story with your business, uh, Sunrise. Well, you've obviously been doing uh, mindfulness and meditation training, not to mention well-being coaching. And you've got a lot of, you've done a lot of study in this whole space as well. And so when people have gone so, so much into their, their study and learning all the different facets of well-being, it's always fascinating to me as, uh, why? And so, so behind, you know, behind every business, there's normally a bit of a human, human story. I'm wondering what your story is and if you, if you're happy to share some of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, like when you, it's one of those things when you look back, it's when you're connecting the dots, as they say, you know, you don't really think about it when you're in the middle of it, but definitely there's a one big year where I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about soon, but I guess leading up to that, I think I was lucky to just be in the right place at the right time to learn meditation pretty young. I was 15 when I first learned how to meditate and, um, at the time, that was sort of mid-90s, so it definitely wasn't really mainstream at that point, and it was still a kind of a fringe weirdo thing that you do. <laughs> um, and, and it was really a great and pretty life-changing experience to learn something like that. So the initial meditation that I learned was transcendental style of meditation, which is where you're kind of given a mantra and you sort of repeat it in your mind kind of thing for you know, while you're sitting down, so you have that that element to come back to in your mind. And that was the style that I had for a couple of years until I learned the Buddhist mindfulness style of meditation where you focus on your breathing. So that was one, I think, really key element. And then I think my curiosity about people and health and well-being naturally grew over the years. So I studied psychology. As you know, I studied international public health after my first degree. I did a postgrad in international public health and I think that was really around me being so curious about how, how people make the decisions that they do around their health behavior and you know how you can pre uh, prevent some diseases or promote good health in certain ways and what elements are involved, you know, how to uh, create a campaign that really hits home, reaches certain audiences, the sociocultural elements that really have an impact on the way that people have their behaviors with health and well-being, And, and so I was just naturally curious, uh, all the way through, you know, from the beginning really. And I had had in my mind, this idea of creating some kind of business around it. So I did a lot of training, a lot of that sort of personal training around yoga, wellness coaching, all those kinds of things that I think kind of, I was trying to figure out how do I bring this all together, you know, into this one thing. And it was sort of evolving over time, over the years. I also, in my 20s, I went up to teach English as a second language overseas. So I got to travel around the world and meet people and learn how to work with people and how to facilitate to groups and have some, you know, great, it's the kind of overseas experiences that you yeah. get in different countries. Yeah. And I think all of those were, were really important elements that I hadn't really thought about much, you know, when you're, when you're in the middle of them, you're sort of thinking, what, have, what is this about? And you're not really paying attention to how it might become something. But yeah, I had this concept of Sunrise Well for a little while. And I have to say there was a year where it was quite a big, you know, a couple of events that happened. And that really, I think, made me really have the impetus and have that drive and motivation to actually do something. And it kind of became 
bigger than me and more about everybody else and, you know, having that impact. And so I just briefly, what happened within a really short time period, I think I had about six months where some really big events happened. So firstly, my, both of my grandmothers passed away, sadly, and I was pretty close to both of them. And that was sort of at the beginning and at the end of that six months. And in between, I had a few big events as well. So a few weeks after my first grandmother passed away, I was having a day off, stepped out of my house. I was living in inner West Sydney, you know, it's mm. back, back of Newtown, beautiful little yeah. side street. It was a pretty quiet street. And I stepped out of my house and was going to go into the shops. And I, I looked across the road and I saw a man face down on the ground. And he'd actually, I, I didn't know, I didn't know what had happened. So I ran over there and actually I, I kind of panicked because it's not the kind of thing that you expect to happen. And I, I rolled him over and I realized that he was in quite a serious state. I called oh, yeah. out for, for help and a neighbor came running and Together, we called an ambulance and ended up performing CPR on him for about 20 minutes until they arrived. And they gave him the defibs, restored a, a heartbeat. Unfortunately, a few days later, he did end up passing away. So that was, you know, a really mm. big shock and a big impact. The, I guess, one of the, one of the nicer things to come out of a sad situation like that is that I did get contacted by his family and they, they expressed how grateful they were that I was there, that he had someone with him and that they were able to all be with him in the hospital as well. So that anyone who's sort of blown through a situation like that, where you have to suddenly perform CPR on someone really, you know, really hits home. Yeah. You know, far out. What, what life is all about and what, what are we doing here? And, um, mm. that, that was really big. And then just a couple of weeks after that, my husband. I ended up saying uh, goodbye to him as he went in to have open heart surgery and he had a heart defect that he'd had his whole life. And, um, we, the doctors, the cardiologists had been monitoring it and we'd known that there was a, a major surgery coming up. We just didn't realize it was going to be then. Yeah. Wow. And we had a moment where the cardiothoracic surgeon said to him, what are you doing next Tuesday? And within two or three days, he was going in for that major surgery so you know with a really long mm. a lot of you know a lot going on there so I have to say you know those events when I was in the middle of them high stress you know yeah. kind of shock kind of situation for me but later on when I had a bit of time to sort of recover and process I thought to myself you know I guess it really brought home that idea of mortality salience you know when you become aware yeah of your mortality and like, what am I doing? I really, you know, if I'm going to be doing something, I may as well just go ahead and start doing it. And, and, and also if my message hits home to somebody, if the kind of work that I'm doing has any kind of impact at all, then I've had success. And that's, um, that's really important to me. So yeah, that, that's how it's yeah. a big year, but yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. It's, it's a very intensive six months that you had and, and pretty, uh, yeah. pretty horrific with those experiences as well, but really great, you know, as well, when you reflect on it and also reflecting and connecting the dots between, you know, your 15 year old self trying something 
on the, uh, you know, what you said, it's in the mid nineties on the, on the fridge, the, the meditation stuff yeah. into, into these life experiences to, to then create something positive out of it though, being your, your business where you can share, share, you know, the, I guess the experience you've had, but also the, the tools and practical skills that you can, people can use for, for their own health and wellbeing. You, you also said, you also said if you, you know, help one person that it's, then it's worth it. And I couldn't agree more sometimes just, you know, that the people that uh, take it, take the tools and run with it, even if they, they just start, you never know what state their life is in and, and, you know, the, the frailty of life, as you, as you mentioned with that, that story of that man, it's, that's very impactful. And yeah, it, le it leaves a lasting, I guess, impact on you as well, as you, mm -hmm. as you had said. So I'm wondering Ruth then, you know, 15 year old self getting into meditation to now at that point in time, it would have been, you're right. It would have been pretty unique to, to doing that at that that stage in your life, you must, did you, did you feel the benefits of doing that at such a young age? Because I, I think of my 15 year old self and I, I wouldn't have been able to, I just wouldn't have been able to commit to the, like, that, that, that sort of idea of doing something like that for a set period of time. I don't, I don't feel like I was that mature. You're obviously. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I was just kind of lucky in the sense yeah. that I was, I had these great teachers and I was receptive to it at the time. And I probably, you know, I did feel it through, especially through my twenties when I wasn't so aware of it all. I definitely had periods where I wasn't doing it and I noticed it and yep. it for me became a bit of an anchor, what I always call my anchor to sort of bring myself back down. So I might lose it for a little while when I was younger, I, I wouldn't necessarily be doing it daily. But then after a while I'd realize, hang on, things are a bit frazzled. My head's a bit out of place what's missing and I'd always come back to coming back to that practice. So yeah. I, and really, I don't think I had the words for it or the understanding of it, but I definitely felt different every time I yeah. did it. So that yeah. was really, you know, I didn't, I didn't know why or what it was really doing, but it was having an impact. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so, that's so good. Uh, you must be the youngest meditator of it, or, you know, the, the earliest meditation adopter, adopter that I know. That's great. And, and, and Ruth, when you bring this into, you know, you're doing a lot of facilitation, a lot of workshops, especially in, for organizations and workplaces, when you start, like if you're, if you're bringing this into a workplace, you must get, I won't say mixed opinions, but for some people, do they kind of go, Hmm, this is a bit to alternative or, or have people moved on from that and realized that actually this can be helpful for performance and for my mental health? What, what's it, what's the state of play as you experience, you know, now? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think, I think it has changed definitely. And, you know, we've sort of seen that evolve over the, the decades where it's becoming more and more understood and, and there's been a lot of conversations around, is it, is it enough? Is it okay? You know, what does it even do? And, and the science, you know, thankfully is kind of caught up to yep. that sort of evidence backing behind it as well, which is really interesting. But I I'd say it's still a little bit mixed. I still do get the funny kinds of responses around, you know, it works for other people, but it's not going to work for me because one of the common things people say is, you know, I'm different or my mind is different because someone told me not long ago, I don't, not only have one thought process going on, I have multiple thought streams and, and that, that, that was somehow different. And 
I kind of <laughs> gently responded by saying, actually, that's everybody's experience. We all yeah. have a number of voices and weird kind of conversations going on in our heads all at once. And, yeah. and that's the whole concept of, you know, training that monkey mind and bringing mm. it to a point of focus. So majority of the time, though, I think most people are quite open or interested. And then it's just a conversation around how do you actually fit this in to your life and your day? And how does that make an impact for you personally? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's good to hear. I, I, I agree. Like I, I reckon in my opinion, anyway, people are getting into it more. It's more accepted, especially in the workplace. And you've also got some almost like celebrity endorsement in some way. Like you've got some people like, uh, there's a basketballer called LeBron James, who's like probably one yeah. of the biggest. Oh yeah. He's been on the, um, I've seen his head pop up on the calm the Calm app, you know, that, that app that's about meditation and mindfulness. So he's been like, you know, a big endorser of that. So then it opens up the practice for athletes and really being widely accepted for athletes. And, and in my head, like every, an everyday person is an athlete in some ways, like, a, you know, whether that's a, you know, a corporate athlete versus a, an everyday athlete, but for anyone who's just wanting to improve how they feel, it's obviously a great practice and as you say the science is is there now to support it i'm wondering ruth when you're in your workshops and you're facilitating what do you what are some of the benefits that people notice you know in the short term and then the long term from practicing meditation or mindfulness and i'm probably i probably shouldn't bundle them together because they are two distinct things but what are the main benefits from your from your experience well i mean yeah it's a really good point i guess that what you're saying about there being that, like you said, celebrity endorsement to start with and what you, you might notice in terms of actually some quite people quite high up in leadership who are understanding just how, how, what an impact it's having yeah. on, on the way that they perform and see the world and that emotional intelligence piece that I think is a really big part of it. And I think short term, the majority of people will say after sitting down that they feel more relaxed, that they're able to, you know, just connect to their breathing and really calm themselves. And so you're able to elicit that relaxation response and that rest and digestive system kind of taking yourself out of that hectic thinking or thought pattern that you might be having and just grounding yourself into your body and understanding, remembering that you're breathing because a lot of the time we kind of go through the day, we're not even thinking about breathing. And so just taking that moment to pause and be still and that can actually be really, really huge, having quite, quite a big benefit and there are so many pieces to the benefits it's sort of hard to know where to begin mm. so you have the physiological immediate physiological benefits where your muscles start to relax where your breathing becomes calmer and like i said you're bringing or eliciting that relaxation response so your body that's kind of been in that fight flight for a lot of the day you're able to sort of help it to tune into that karma aspect. And so the body's able to perform what it needs to do, like life digestion. So digesting mm. properly and, um, and breathing properly. And so we also have the vasodilation. So having the blood flow through the body in a better way, which obviously is going to have great impact on the cardiac output and, and you know, staying calm and all that, all of the tension that can happen in that sort of arena. So those are the sort of immediate physiological kinds of benefits. And then on the other side, and I think this is something that happens over the long term more so, is this development of self-awareness. 
And I, th I think that that piece can't be overstated because it is mm. such an important one as, as you move through life, as you work with other people, you know, whether it's working in teams or whether it's going home to your partner, whatever it is, working with your children, working, uh, being <laughs> with your children and, and really being able to understand that that moment by moment awareness. So when I, when I teach my classes or any kind of workshop, I kind of point out to people that mindfulness, whether it's meditation or mindfulness is paying attention to the moment by moment awareness. And within that, there are thoughts, there are feelings, there are sensations, there's an environment around you and you're bringing as much as you can, your focus into that present moment and being sort of aware that we are going moment by moment and yes, we have a past and we have a future but we're not existing there we're existing right now and when you sort of have that muscle that training to keep coming back to that thought you're able to really start to see that space that you have between what they call the stimulus and the response you know that action and the reaction so you sort of start to see how time actually can be somewhat expanded where you can not be so reactive, not be so impulsive. And, uh, and that's a big part. And then the other element with mindfulness is really bringing in this, what they call a benevolent gaze or, or a kind or compassionate gaze, because if we're observing this in a clinical sense, it can become quite cold and, and it can bring in judgment or you could bring in direction, but if yep. we're just observing and we can be kind, human, you know, benevolent. We can understand that this is the human experience that we're going through. And that creates obviously empathy and compassion for others and an understanding about yourself in the yeah. world, about other people. So this over time actually has a, you know, wonderful benefit for your relationships, as I said, whether it's, um, you know, someone that you're working with and you don't send that snarky email or whether it's your kids and you don't snap at them. And for me, that's a big piece because, you know, in terms of your self-care, in terms of your mindfulness, I always come back to what kind of person do I want to be? You know, how we do only have moment by moment, but what kind of person do I want to be in the future or what kind of memories do I want to have for the past? And I certainly want to be someone who I'm proud of or who my children remember me as, you know, so those kinds of things, I think, yeah, that's, that's where that self-awareness and regulation comes in. And research-wise, there's just been so many studies around this now, which is really, really great. But just as an example, in 2016, there was a study of people learning to meditate over an eight-week period and they did fMRI scans, so before and after that eight weeks, and they found a significant change in the executive functioning and prefrontal cortex and the hippocampus. And both of these are involved in that self-regulation, the focus, the attention, the decision-making part of ourselves. And they found also this reduction in the amygdala, so that more impulsive, reactive, fear-based part of our, our brains. This, there was the connectivity between the two was reduced and interaction or interactivity within the amygdala was reduced. So, and this is just over that short time. So neuroplasticity is another big and yeah. important feature there. So yeah, there's just so much great research about it these days and the benefits, I think 
got the immediate benefits and then you've got those long-term benefits that you start to pick up on after weeks and weeks. Yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, when people are, people are thinking about this and considering those, especially the long-term related benefits, like the benefits for relationships is, is like fantastic. And in a workplace environment, what we're seeing now is everyone's working hybrid. So for leaders and also just, you know, people that are working within teams, whilst we're so connected with technology, there's nothing better than just putting the, putting all the tech away and actually catching up with people and connecting on a more human level in person when possible. So if, if you can get rid, like if we can create some space and get rid of some of that digital distraction that occurs all the time, and we're doing this via a virtual studio, for example, now I'll, I'll basically need to unplug and go for a walk after this, because for me, that's just, that's just what I need. And I think that awareness part comes with, I think people lose some of that self awareness because they are so invested in, in some, something like work, but I love your question about, you know, what, yeah, it's a great big question to ask, but what kind of, you know, what kind of person do you want to want to be, or what kind of memories do you want to create, uh, in this world? Cause it is, it, life is short and your, your stories, you know, that you mentioned earlier are, are really highlighting that. And I couldn't, I've got my own, you know, experiences with that as well, that, that kind of remind me how how short life can be and how important it is to embrace the moment. Ruth, there's one there's one workshop that you are really prolific in and it's it's one of your most popular. It's called Make Self-Care Your Superpower. I'm wondering within that workshop, there's obviously that's that's a really good statement and I love the title of that one. From a from a from a self-care perspective within that workshop, when you speak with workplaces or employees, what's the one thing that they love the most about that particular one, or what are the main sort of experiences that you get from that, that workshop? Well, I think what people like the most, and hopefully this is transmitted in the work that I do is that I really try to empower people to take ownership of what they're doing and and where they want to go. So with my workshop, I really bring in that element of that self-determination, that self-efficacy of people to be able to work out what it is that they need in terms of going forward. Because, you know, for some people it's to have a 5k run and for other people it's to sit and meditate. And so I don't prescribe in my workshop plans. Obviously I have suggestions, practical Mm. tips, things that maybe people hadn't thought about, but what I want people to do is to walk away feeling empowered. So they've got their toolkit, they've got their plan. And they know where they're going and, and they also realize, and that's where it comes back to that whole, that big why, that big motivation. They, they have a bit of a, that impetus that comes from within that I can't tell them, you know, that they have a good, good hard thing about, you know, where am I going with this? Why do I want to practice this self-care? Because hopefully, you know, for some people, it still has a bit of a, you know, buzzword or a, a cliche. And hopefully I can help people and see that. If you are practicing that mindfulness or that, that, that self-care and looking after yourself, you will be a better person for it. And that impacts all the people around you and it impacts where you're going in your life. So, you know, this is something me and my husband are constantly doing. There's the, there's the two of us. We've got two wild, crazy little, (laughs) 
um, and business and work and not a lot of family support, you know, around. Yeah. So we have a constant conversation around making sure that our self-care is, is up, you know, we both get that time, the space, the exercise, whatever it is, and looking after ourselves so that that big picture kind of is taken care of. And we know that if we do this over time, you know, in 20 years, we'll still be pretty active and we'll still be feeling pretty good and we'll be able to hang out with our children and go climbing in New Zealand and things like that. So we, we kind of get that long-term gain into our minds about it. And so that's what I try to do in my workshops to inspire people to think about, you know, where do I want to be and what kind of person do I want to be and why do I want to do that? And mm. hopefully they walk away with that, that plan in mind. So, yeah. That's great. Yeah. There's some just Beautiful questions. And if you're, if you're listening to this, just have a, have a good think of those, those ones. You've got me thinking Ruth here on all the spot. I'm going to have to take a walk and, and have a think. So that, that's, that's really great and super helpful, Ruth. I, I absolutely love what you say. And I think, I think as well, really by starting with people, people starting to think really why, you know, why should I do these things? I, you know, rather than pushing uh, meditation mindfulness, we know that doesn't work that often the first step for people needs to come from within, within their motivation, but really understanding their, their long-term goals that is really the key. And that's, that's what it's all about with wellbeing coaching, I guess, as well. Coaching, a lot of people have coaches. They might have a personal trainer. They might have a business coach. They might have a podcast coach. They'll have all sorts of coaches or a leadership coach, but the wellbeing coach side of things is super important because we are busy people. And we are constantly prioritizing and reprioritizing what's important to us in the moment. So Ruth, thanks so much for your time. I've absolutely loved speaking with you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom. It's been such a pleasure to, to talk with you today. Thanks for tuning in to another Well Workplaces podcast. If you've loved the show, it would be fantastic if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Or feel free to follow us on LinkedIn or Instagram and search Well Workplaces or my profile, Tom Bosner. The show is produced by Alice Hoyle and is made in my backyard cubby. If you would like to hear more about our exclusive events and more about the Well Workplaces community, feel free to email me directly at tom at wellworkplaces.com.au where I'd love you to tell me who I should interview in the future podcasts and also tell me what you've loved most about the show. This podcast is really built on community input and built on the aspiration of inspiring healthy change in every workplace. Thanks for listening.